Hello, welcome to the New Stack Makers, a podcast where we talk about at scale application development, deployment, and management. GitLab is a single application for the entire software development lifecycle. From project planning and source code management to CI CD, monitoring, and security, GitLab helps enterprises deliver software to market at new speeds. Hey everyone, here for another episode of the New Stack Makers. Today I have two guests joining us to talk about diversity and inclusion, but also integrations and how companies are working together, in particular how GitLab and Red Hat are working together. So joining me are Kate Milligan, Global ISV Alliance Manager for Red Hat. Hi, Kate. Hi, Alex. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. And from GitLab, we have Sarah Davila, Senior Manager, Partner, and Channel Marketing. Hi, Sarah. Hi. How's it going? Good. Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We're going to talk a lot about um, diversity and inclusion today, and it's a topic that is uh, really quite relevant. And the way that I look at it is you you think about application architectures and you think about how they're developed and you think about who does the development and why would you ever want just one group of people developing that architecture all the time? Why would you want just a bunch of men always developing the architecture? You're not going to really see any kind of difference in the industrial design. And I think actually the research proves it. So, I just want to ask you, Kate, just to start off, do you notice a lack of diversity and inclusion in technology? And if so, why do you think that's the case? And, you know, I, how does it affect things? Yeah, good question, Alex. Um, yes, I would say I do notice a lack of women in our field. Um, I think there's less women taking up tech-related degrees um, or STEM-focused degrees, which translate into the workforce. Um, where at many tech companies, men represent the overwhelming majority. Um, with less women in the industry, it makes having role models at the top really difficult to find. Um, having key women in senior le leadership roles positively encourage other females to join the company. Um, and that shows that they're supportive of advancing women's careers um, and increasing overall company growth and diversity. Another reason I think there are less women in the field is because they may take a break from their career once they have a baby or start a family or leave their careers altogether to become a stay-at-home mom, um, which in turn, they may miss out on developing themselves in their careers. I think this all has real-world implications for the future of our society and technology. Uh, ways we can improve this gap, I would say, could be having more flexible working arrangements, uh, more women in leadership roles, uh, more mentorship starting out early on in your career, and more encouragement um, 
uh, for early age girls and boys to pursue whatever they're naturally interested in. So Sarah, when you think about that, you know, in terms of support, what is the support that's really important? And how does support show in the in the GitLab workplace? Yeah, so Kate hit something that I think is incredibly relevant, um, not only in a COVID world, but just in the workforce in general, is that in order for women to be truly successful, we need to have flexible working arrangements. And I think GitLab is the hallmark of what that is. As a 100% remote company from the start, that flexibility is built in to the culture of the company. So taking a little bit of maternity leave or, you know, needing to work with your children around or needing to um, work, but also care for someone else, you know, an elder or something like that, it's already built into the culture because we're in an asynchronous environment. So, you know, as long as you're getting your job done, um, the nine to five butts and seats is not the mentality here. And I think that that's what allows women to thrive. Um, and I think that's what's allowing us to um, be an amazing company. Back to that really does make a difference, doesn't it? The ability to work at home and yeah. be able to set your own hours. It allows everyone to have a career, really. Yes, for sure. No. Um, so I want to know, uh, you know, what advice, Kay, would you give to people? You know, I would be curious about your career. You know, how did you get started in tech? What were the earlier influences you had? How does it affect you today? And how does it affect your, your perception, you know, as a career-minded individual? Well, I would say tech is a very broad field. Um, it includes like human resources, sales, engineering, marketing, business, and many other options. So, um, just learning about the industry, it could take several years and um, a lot of research of deciding which area you kind of want to focus on and be a part of. Um, I would definitely recommend considering what you love and enjoy. Um, what topics are you good at? Um, and start kind of planning ahead um, from an earlier age. Um, pursuing what interests you for a career, maybe not like the latest trend or following the money, but what you're really passionate about. Um, if you like hardcore problem solving and searching and finding solutions to things you may know very little about, I highly recommend the, the tech field. Um, just remember your career will probably be hopefully long over several decades. Um, so jobs early on in your career will have a long-term effect on how you approach your work, your confidence levels, how you view technology, and whether you stay in the industry and so on. Um, also putting yourself in environments where you can build your skills and your confidence are really important. Um, when it comes to the specific topic of gender, I don't think gender should really be an obstacle. Um, try to view it as limits are defined by your mindset. Um, so just continue to move forward with what you're passionate about, especially in an industry that you may feel kind of an outcast in. Um, I honestly believe that no matter what bumps you find 
um, on the road, passion will always guarantee success moving forward. So you, for your, particularly for in your work, how did you get started? How did you get started in tech? Well, I first got started in tech. Um, I went to school for business and um, I was selling cell phones throughout college. So I was working for like Verizon and T-Mobile. And I just really was interested in learning the components of the phone and also having kind of like a sales pitch to go along with when you're selling phone plans. So that kind of continued into data storage and then Red Hat. So um, I've always had a curiosity about technology from an early age. Interesting. So when you think to your own career, Sarah, I'm curious about you know your beginnings as well. And then I'd love to kind of get your perspective on how the job has changed um, during this current crisis with COVID-19. Yeah. So I actually love hearing people's how they got their stories. That's my favorite thing, Kate. So I love your story. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it's, it's so fascinating. And so for me, um, you know, right out of college, my first gig was being a DJ on the radio. And that was my dream job. Like I landed my dream job right out of college. And um, then I realized there's so much more in communications than just this. So, you know, Way leans on to way, right? Robert Frost said that. And so I found myself in Houston. And in Houston, the industry is oil and gas. And so I leveraged my communication skills to get a gig in oil and gas. Um, and I just started writing for them. That's how it happened. And then just through sheer tenacity and knowing that no one is going to take care of your career like you will, anytime there was an opportunity, even if it was lateral, I said, yeah, I'm going to try something new right? And that's what led me into marketing. And I did about eight years in oil and gas before I transitioned into tech. And if I'm being really transparent, which is the GitLab way, I was scared to move from oil and gas to tech. Um, because it's all I had really ever known. Um, I grew up in the oil and gas um, industry. And then I went to HPE. And I thought, wow, <laughs> like, no, no one moves as fast as HPE moves. And then um, I landed a gig at a startup in San Francisco. And it was like, my hair was blown back, like my hair is right now. It was just like, wow, this is incredible. This is like, the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. And I felt incredibly fortunate to know that I was part of an organization where every day, really, the work that I was doing was impacting the business. Um, and so that's how I got into tech. And, and um, the relationships that I've had along the way is what's moved me through my tech career. Um, and I think now in a COVID world, the key to success or you know, what's really driving digital transformation is communication, right? Like us having this conversation right here, talking about what we're talking about. But the bottom line, like the red thread that I see throughout everything is just really open, transparent, and honest communication. What kind of communication? Because there seems to be some over-communication in some ways. Like there's like almost trying to get easy ways out of the communication. Like mm -hmm. uh, uh, Judy and I, Judy's the co-owner of the Newstack, we were talking last night about, about uh, the number of surveys, for instance, that we're getting. You know, and like how, you know, and Judy's the kind of person who just will always fill out a survey, but now she sees a survey and she deletes it. Yeah. And I, so. 
yeah, that, that your, balance of communication. I'm curious on your perspective on that. Yeah, for sure. And I think Kate probably sees this too. Like we are in a right now in this in this COVID era that we're in, it's just an oversaturation of webinars and to your point, Alex, of surveys. And so I think it's about being strategic with what you're saying and the method that you're using to do that. So at GitLab, we have specific communication forms that are for specific things, right? We use Slack as a fun way to communicate. We're not delivering tasks or asking you to do X, Y, or Z in Slack. We use GitLab itself for tasks and assignments. And I think Kate has actually uh, been dabbling in GitLab with us too. So she knows that like, hey, this, this particular form of communication is for X. This particular form of communication is for Y. And then we're really strategic about, you know, when you are on vacation, that is your time right? Don't check your email. Don't check your Slack. Don't answer your phone. Don't come to a meeting. We ruthlessly try to honor people's time because to your point, Alex, there's just an oversaturation of it right now. Mm-hmm. I think that's really well point, really good point taken about the kind of different forms of communication. Mm-hmm. What are some of the difficulties of of you know being women in tech and you know a lot of it can come down to these microaggressions that uh that are that are disguised in some way as trying to be you know some you know trying to be something maybe that is just a small little thing you know but you know these micro aggressions can be really impactful um how how do you approach that that topic and how do you think about you know your team members and how allies can help to identify or reduce these issues and so women can be empowered yeah that's a really great question so i have a a very you know specific example which is um it's about language, right? Just one way to counteract microaggressions, allies, and you know, women or people of color on our own is just the language that we choose to use, right? So um, instead of saying, uh, thanks, man, or hey, you guys, we're saying, um, hi, y'all, or you know, that sort of thing. So just being strategic because the things that we say either include or exclude people. And Again, in the vein of transparency, before I started at GitLab, I was guilty of saying, thanks, man, or okay, guys, like I did it. And it wasn't until I came here and I read through like, you know, the reasons why we don't say those things. And I can see the impact that it has every day. So I think just those little things, you know, are easy ways to counteract those microaggressions. And you don't even know you're doing it um, until someone points it out to you. So it's okay to, it's so, so, so it's, so it is okay to point it out, isn't it? Oh yeah. And at GitLab, we really do try to point those things out and not in a way that's like, Hey, you know, shame, shame, shame. You're doing something wrong. It's more like, Hey, why don't we include everybody in this conversation? And I think even on Slack, there's a bot that'll say like, if you say, Hey guys, or Hey man, it will kind of like ping you and say, hey, why don't we use more inclusive language? Check it out on the handbook. This is how you do that. Um, That's great. Yeah, I didn't know if you knew Good that. Good reminder. Too. Yeah, just like, hey, try this instead. How should men 
you know, who are allies manage that responsibility? Uh, how, you know, what is, you know, when is their voice important? I think it's important all the time, regardless, right? I think, you know, um, as a husband, as a father, as a partner, as a coworker, um, a lot of times the default motion is to look to the man in the room for the final answer or the strategic decision. And what I've heard a lot that I really love, um, I have a coworker, um, and he always says, before we close out, well, Sarah, what are your final thoughts on this? Just those kind of little things, those are really helpful. That's what men can do to be an ally. That's one example of a way to do that. Versus taking the last final comment, provide it to the, to the female in the room or the person of color in the room. Anything to add to that, Katie? I completely agree. I, I notice that when you are on a conference call and um, you may be like um, not speaking, uh, speaking up as much. So if someone kind of calls you out and asks you what you think or if you have any feedback, that will kind of get you engaged or um, if there's stronger personalities in the room. So I, I completely agree with that approach, Sarah. Mm -hmm. So Sarah, you were in oil and gas. How is, how is it different in tech compared to oil and gas and your experience and how you, you know, uh, have had to you know, deal with issues of microaggression or, or just blatant sexism? And I mean, it's, and I'm putting this mildly, it's 100% different, right? I mean, it's night and day, it's black and white, right? Oil and gas is butts and seeds, boots on the ground, eight to five every day. Um, it, there is no, it's very, it's, it's very old school, right? It's very good old boy system. Whereas tech, it's the complete opposite. And even though we're here talking about a conversation like diversity, inclusion, and tech, and we're talking about the ways it could be better, I would say, this is my opinion, I'll probably get some people on LinkedIn that I used to work with that'll say something different. But for me, um, it's leaps and bounds ahead of where the oil and gas industry is. Um, and I think to your point, Alex, you called out something very strategic, which is sexism. It is rampant in the oil and gas industry, but it is also widely accepted and tolerated. So in order for that industry to change, it's incumbent upon the women to feel empowered to say something and do something, right? Um, and things won't change without that. So here in tech, there's women like myself and Kate and our peers that are saying, hey, this isn't okay, or we would like it to change, and this is how we would like it to change, and we're putting that foot forward. From your experiences with your companies, the, the, the tech industry is male dominated though. It's, it, and the sexism has, you know, has definitely been documented. Um, underrepresented minorities are, are poorly represented. Yep. You know, black people are, you know, are, 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 are often overlooked. Uh, so I know there must be quite a difference between oil and gas and tech, but tech doesn't really stand up as a shining model, does it? I wouldn't say that it stands up as a shining model. I would say that it is, like I said a minute ago, it's like it's, it is ahead of the game in relation to its peer industries, right? Obviously, tech still has a way to go. We see it in the news every day. Um, but if we're running a race, they're, a little, they're like a mile ahead, whereas oil and gas is two miles behind. 
Okay. They're a little further ahead. <laughs> there you go. For Kate, you know, so when you were thinking about, you know, your career and you've, as you've gone on with your career, what's some of the best advice that you've received, you know, about rising, you know, in, in this business and being part of something that you can feel good about yourself and feeling like you're getting challenged and continually being recognized for your work. Is there anything that you can that you can point to in terms of, you know, like a mentor or you know, you know, we, you know, you've had mentors in your crap, your in your, you know, in your time in tech, haven't you? What are the kind of things that they've told you? Is it those things exactly about being passionate about your work? Um, I would say in the past I've had mentors talk about speaking up, um, fake it till you make it. And um, there's times when you may feel insecure or unsure that you kind of know what to say and what to do in a situation that's new. So um, one of my mentors just said, fake it till you make it. And you may be in a room full of 15 other people who don't really know what to do either. So by having that confidence and asking really simple questions, I think you can kind of break down the barriers and um, get more comfortable in the situation and maybe other will inspire other people to speak up or um, explain things that they didn't know the answers to. Mm-hmm. Sarah, anything you recall from what mentors have said to you and as you've gone through your career? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking while Kate was talking, she was talking about the room of 15 people. And I remember um, my first week at HPE, I went into a meeting with a bunch of senior executives. And let's remember, I did not, this was like my first week in tech. So I didn't know anything. I didn't even know what a server was, if I'm being real, right? Mm -hmm. And there was this, um, the room was this huge conference room, all of the seats at the table were taken, but there were still chairs along the wall. And there was this gentleman that turned to me and in front of everybody, he stopped the meeting and he said, pull your chair up to the table. And I still think about that to this day, that like, here's this gentleman that's like, you deserve a seat at this table, even though you think you don't know, right? To Kate's point about fake it till you make it, even if you don't think you know, you deserve a seat at this table. And so while he didn't blatantly say, Sarah, you deserve a seat at this table, that's what his actions um, were saying to me. And then just, I think I touched on this a little bit before, but for me personally, um, I've always believed and that no one is going to look after your career the way that you will. So you have to be tenacious about um, grasping a hold of any opportunities that are presented to you. And to Kate's point, be passionate about it. You know, if, even if you're a little bit scared and you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, if you think it's going to drive your career or help you grow, I say, go for it, do it. It's also a good job. Um, and you can make a decent income from it. And, uh, you know, from my point of view, at least if you don't have the passion for it, it's a good job. And that can be a really big difference for people in their lives and, 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 and what becomes of themselves and the people around. And I guess that's my glad, I, you know, kind of just thinking about this as we finish out, how are GitLab and Red Hat demonstrating that commitment so you can continue to have that good job. And so more people can be supported so there can be more diversity and inclusion. 
Yeah. So from the GitLab perspective, we have an entire department dedicated to diversity and inclusion. Um, I can provide the link. It's in the doc of how you can learn more about what we're doing for the, of a diversity and inclusion perspective. Um, there's a whole section in our handbook around communication and language and how um, that um, specific language empowers inclusion. Um, we're just really taking a strong stance and effort to make sure from a culture perspective that what we're doing is inclusive. Yeah, I would say at Red Hat, um, we have a lot of different initiatives that support women in the workplace. Um, the first one that comes to mind is the women's leadership community. I've been a part of this group since I started at Red Hat like four years ago. Um, and I've had really helpful conversations about the importance of mentorships and networking within your own organization. Um, we'll have speakers come in, hold different roundtables, and they've had listening tours to kind of gather feedback on certain topics they'd like to improve. Um, I've also had thoughtful discussions around how to ask for a raise, um, opportunities to shadow other roles in the company to see if that's something maybe you'd like to do in the future. Um, another initiative at Red Hat that I think is really cool is CoLab. It's a program that shows middle school girls the principles of open source technology and collaboration. Um, they get to build and code their own devices and then ultimately share their work with their communities. Um, kind of open the doors to careers in science, technology, engineering, and math. We also have open source stories, which tell stories that highlight and inspire others to embrace open source in their own work. It's kind of a video series if you go on the website um, where they've highlighted um, a couple cool initiatives like Food Computer Program um, that was put on by Green Street Academy. And it's basically like a tabletop garden that contains everything a plant would need to grow, like water, food, light, a controlled climate. And it's all managed by sensors in a Raspberry Pi. So they've built a hydroponic system using um, affordable computer. Um, we also have the Future Girls program, which is through a local middle school. And that program gives uh, students support in learning um, socioeconomic growth and also inspiring success in creating additional learning opportunities. We, um, the last one I would say is a couple award programs that Red Hat has, the Women in IT Awards, that highlights the accomplishments of women in all aspects of technology. And then we have the Women in Open Source Award program that was created by Red Hat, and that honors women to make important contributions to open source projects um, with the hopes of encouraging more women to join the community and enhance diversity in the industry. All important stuff. Now, how, mm -hmm. do, how do you know each other? You work with each other, don't you? What is it that you work, what, you know, how... How do you work with each other? I'm curious about how, you know, Red Hat and GitLab are working with each other and how you've come to get to know each other and, you know, build, you know, a strategy and a plan. Maybe you could tell us about your work and, you know, and, you know, and how, how you developed in this alliance. Yeah. So Sarah and I met each other through the GitLab Red Hat partnership. 
So um, I kind of focus on more of the go-to-market strategy and generating revenue. And um, Sarah, do you want to explain kind of what you focus on? Yeah, for sure. So um, I focus on the marketing side of the relationship. So bringing the partnership together and delivering uh, joint marketing activities to help drive awareness and lead gen for our, our joint partnership. Okay. What are some of the things that you've done? Like, to you know, what are some of the projects you've worked on? Some of the projects we've done together are a lot of like marketing collateral. So we've written a couple blogs together about our partnership. Um, we're working on a certification um, right now through Red Hat, which is an operator. So um, that has been completed and um, we've put together some product briefs and battle cards for more like sales enablement. Um, we're also working on a webinar right now that's DevOps focused and um, it involves kind of changing behavior um, in the, the tech industry and working with developers and operations. So that's some of the work we've been doing, but we have a lot more plans coming up this year. We talk about DevOps all the time. We've been talking about it you know, since we started the new SAC almost six years ago. And I talked about it you know, for many years before that. But when you're talking to people, who are you talking to? Are you talking to technical teams? Are you talking to engineers? Are you talking more to people in a larger organization who might work in different product groups, for example? Um, it covers a lot of those. So uh, like site reliability engineers, developers, cloud engineers are usually like the DevOps group. Um, I personally work more with partners and then uh, customers to make sure that we're solving their problems and building a solution that kind of caters to their needs. Sarah, do you find there's uh, still a lot of education that's needed in terms of DevOps? I think it's more about the changing landscape of the products and the solutions versus like educating people what DevOps is. Yeah. Um, I, I just, you know, with the industry and the you know, the, the ecosystem of cloud native and DevOps, it grows every day. So it's more about just education um, as to what is new and deprecating what's old. Right. And then when you think about security, which is increasingly, you know, a concern, uh, it always has been, but now, you know, for one example, with everyone at home, there's lots more use go of, the, of the internet. And that means that there's a greater pool of uh, potential vulnerabilities. How does security play into, into your own approach in terms of DevSecOps and you know, how you're approaching that? Is that a topic that you're focusing on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, let me talk about DevOps first, just to like lay the foundation. Um, so technology roles within an organization they traditionally function separately from one another, like in silos. Um, developers kind of come from the mindset where change is encouraged and the business depends on them to respond to these changing needs. So they're usually encouraged to create, innovate, and generate as much change as possible. Um, on the other hand, we have operations. They kind of see change as the enemy. Um, the business depends on operations to keep the lights on and deliver services that generate money for the business. 
Um, so they're more motivated to resist change, um, which undermines like stability and reliability. Um, so on the topic of security, um, every day there's like new attacks and compromises that happen to major companies. Um, these are shifting the idea of security, which was previously seen as more of an afterthought to one that is critical in order for any company to succeed and kind of stay with the times. Uh, DevSecOps takes methodologies of DevOps one step further. It gives security kind of an equal seat at the table as a partner in, in the company. So open source solutions like Red Hat OpenShift Container Platform uh, further improves DevSecOps, which enables your teams to improve their processes and enhance security. The methodology brings in security teams at the beginning of DevOps initiatives uh, to build in information security and set a plan for automation. Um, it also helps developers code with security in mind, a process that involves the teams to share visibility, feedback, and insights on known security threats. Um, it's also possible that this can include new training for developers too, since it always hasn't been a focus in more traditional application development. Right. So that gives that that then reflects the having a seat at the table. Yep. If you're at the table, you're you're in it from the start. Not at exactly. The end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a really fun discussion. Are there any other examples that you'd like to point out about providing, you know, uh, that value that is important in the open source community? Open source is really uh, important for both your organizations, and uh, you know, and and so how are you trying to like build upon that? Yeah, sure. Um. In for partnerships, I think it's really important to work with another company um, because it can generate more revenue and visibility for the companies involved. And it can also help close deals faster. Um, it can push innovation and um, just develop a better experience for the customers. Um, and the goal is to really create kind of a one-stop shop for customers. So um, for Red Hat and GitLab, I think partnering together means you can build once and then choose to deploy anywhere. So it helps customers to build and run scalable applications in modern dynamic environments like the public, the private, and hybrid clouds. Um, GitLab, like I mentioned earlier, has a certified operator for Red Hat OpenShift that makes it easier to deploy and manage in a Kubernetes environment. When running GitLab on OpenShift, software delivery cycles are collapsed because the solution provides higher efficiency across all stages of the development lifecycle. So a one-stop shop means that customers can get the integrations and the other products they want easier and more quickly because they're going through the same vendor. Um, I think it will help streamline the decision and buying process for customers. Um, there's usually two questions that we focus on during like an integration partnership um, in order to build like this bridge between the two companies. Um, it, it would be like, does this partnership enhance the company mission and product vision? Does it align with roadmaps? Um, how does this partnership bring business value to both companies? We want to make sure we're aligned on that. Um, 
so when when they are successful and aligned, um, they save time, make everything more efficient, and provide a familiar workflow for customers. Um, I would say I was drawn to this role um, not only to help build like strong partner relationships, but because of the growing demand of a company like ours and GitLab um, grows as the business matures and there's more opportunity for, for partnerships um, to be kind of organized together. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you both for taking the time to talk today. The subject matters are quite relevant in terms of integrations in particular. The open source world is becoming much more integrated uh, with projects having lots of ways to uh, be leveraged, um, services really to be leveraged uh, with each other. And this topic of uh, diversity and inclusion is just such a critical one. Uh, it's really the most important topic of all, I think, in this discussion. So thank you for your perspectives and your sharing your insights and the best of luck. Thank you. Listen to more episodes of the Newstack Makers at thenewstack.io slash podcasts. Please rate and review us on iTunes, like us on YouTube, and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening and see you next time. GitLab is a single application for the entire software development lifecycle. From project planning and source code management to CICD, monitoring, and security, GitLab helps enterprises deliver software to market at new speeds.